story one of jim the story of a backwoods police dog and other stories by charles roberts this librivox recording is in the public domain story one part six the man with the dancing bear one one day there arrived at brands rip mills driving in a smart trap which looked peculiarly unsuited to the rough backwoods road an imposing gentleman who wore a dark green homburg hat heavy tan gauntleted gloves immaculate linen shining boots and a well-fitting morning suit of dark pepper and salt protected from the contaminations of travel by a long fawn-coloured dust coat he also wore a monocle so securely screwed up into his left eye that it looked as if it had been born there his red and black wheels labouring noiselessly through the sawdust of the village road he drove up to the front door of the barn-like wooden structure which staggered under the name in huge letters of the continental hotel there was no one in sight to hold the horse so he sat on the trap and waited with severe impatience for some one to come out to him in a few moments the landlord strolled forth in his shirt-sleeves chewing tobacco and inquired casually what he could do for his visitor i'm looking for mr blackstock mr j t blackstock said the stranger with lofty politeness will you be so good as to direct me to him the landlord spat thoughtfully into the sawdust to show that he was not unduly impressed by the stranger's appearance you'll find him down to the forder end of the cross street yonder he answered pointing with his thumb last house towards the river lives with old mrs amos him and woolly billy the stranger found it without difficulty and halted his trap in front of the door before he could alight a tall rather gaunt woodsman with kind but piercing eyes and brows knitted in an habitual concentration appeared in the doorway and gave him courteous greeting mr blackstock i presume the deputy sheriff i should say returned the stranger with extreme affability descending from the trap the same assented blackstock stepping forward to hitch the horse to a fence-post a big black dog came from the house and ignoring the resplendent stranger went up to blackstock's side to superintend the hitching a slender little boy with big china-blue eyes and a shock of pale flaxen curls followed the dog from the house and stopped to stare at the visitor the latter swept the child with a glance of scrutiny swift and intent then turned to his host i am extraordinarily glad to meet you mr blackstock he said holding out his hand if as i surmise the name of this little boy here is master george harold manners watson then i owe you a debt of gratitude which nothing can repay i hear that you not only saved his life but have been as a father to him ever since the death of his own unhappy father blackstock's heart contracted he accepted the stranger's hand cordially enough but was in no hurry to reply at last he said slowly yes stranger you've got woolly billy's real name all o okay. k but why should you thank me whatever i've done it's been for woolly billy's own sake ain't it billy for answer woolly billy snuggled up against his side and clutched his great brown hand adoringly while still keeping dubious eyes upon the stranger the latter took off his gloves laughing amiably well you see mr blackstock i'm only his uncle and his only uncle at that so i have a right to thank you and i see by the way the child clings to you how good you've been to him 
my name is j heathington johnson of heathington hall cranley blankshire i'm his mother's brother and i fear i shall have to tear him away from you in a great hurry too come inside mr johnson said blackstock and sit down we must talk this over a bit it is kind of sudden you see i don't want to seem unsympathetic said the visitor kindly and i know my little nephew is going to resent my carrying him off at these words woolly billy began to realize what was in the air and clung to blackstock with a storm of frightened tears but you will understand that i have to catch the next boat from new york and i have a thirty-mile drive before me now to the nearest railway station you know what the roads are so i'm sure you won't think me unreasonable if i ask you to get my nephew ready as soon as possible blackstock devoted a few precious moments to quieting the child's sobs before replying he remembered having found out in some way from some papers in the drowned englishman's pockets or somewhere that the name of woolly billy's mother before her marriage was not johnson but o'neill of course that discrepancy he realized might be easily explained but his quick suspicions sharpened by his devotion to the child were aroused we are not a rich family by any means mr blackstock continued the stranger after a pause but we have enough to be able to reward handsomely those who have befriended us all possible expense that my nephew may have been to you i want to reimburse you for at once and i wish also to make you a present as an expression of my gratitude not i assure you as a payment he added noticing that blackstock's face had hardened ominously he took out a thick bill-book well stuffed with bank-notes put away your money mr johnson said blackstock coldly i ain't taken any thank you for what i may have done for woolly billy but what i want to know is what authority have you to demand the child i'm his uncle his mother's brother answered the stranger sharply drawing himself up that may be and then again it mayn't said blackstock do you think i'm going to hand over the child to a perfect stranger just because he comes and says he's the child's uncle what proofs have you the visitor glared angrily but restrained himself and handed blackstock his card blackstock read it carefully what does that prove he demanded sarcastically it might not be your card and even if you are a mr johnson all right that's not proving that mr johnson is a little feller's uncle i want legal proof that would hold in a court of law you insolent blockhead exclaimed the visitor how dare you interfere between my nephew and me if you don't hand him over at once i will make you smart for it come child get your cap and coat and come with me immediately i have no more time to waste with this foolery my man and he stepped forward as if to lay hands on woolly billy blackstock interposed an inexorable shoulder the big dog growled and stiffened up the hair on his neck ominously look here said blackstock crisply you're going to get yourself into trouble before you go much further my lad you just mind your manners when you bring me them proofs i'll talk to you see he took woolly billy's hand and turned towards the door the stranger's righteous indignation strangely enough seemed to have been allayed by this speech he followed eagerly don't be unreasonable mr blackstock he coached i'll send you the documents from my solicitors at once i'm sure you don't want to stand in the dear child's light this way and prevent him getting back to his own people and the life that is his right a day longer than is necessary do listen to reason now and he patted his wad of banknotes suggestively 
but at this stage woolly billy and the big dog having already entered the cottage blackstock followed and calmly shut the door you'll smart for this you ignorant clodhopper shouted mr headington johnson he clutched the door-knob but for all his rage prudence came to his rescue he did not turn the knob after a moment's hesitation he ground his heel upon the doorstep stalked back to his gig and drove off furiously the three at the window watched his going we won't see him back here again remarked the deputy he wasn't no uncle of yours woolly billy that same evening he wrote to a reliable firm of lawyers at exville telling them all he knew about woolly billy and woolly billy's father and also all he suspected and instructed them to look into the matter fully two several weeks went by and the imposing stranger as blackstock had anticipated failed to return with his proofs then came a letter from the lawyers at exville saying that they had something important to communicate and blackstock hurried off to see them planning to be away for about a week on the day following his departure to the delight of all the children and of most of the rest of the population as well there arrived at brand's rip mills a man with a dancing bear he was a black-eyed swarthy merry fellow with a most infectious laugh and besides his trained bear he possessed a peddler's pack containing all sorts of up-to-date odds and ends not by any means to be found in the very utilitarian miscellany of zeb smith's corner store he talked a rather musical but very broken lingo that passed for english flashing a mouthful of splendid white teeth as he did so he appeared to be an italian and the men of brine's rip christened him a dago at once there was no resisting his childlike bonhomie or the amiable antics of his great brown bear which grinned through its muzzle as if dancing to its master's merry piccolo were its one delight in life and the two did a roaring business from the moment they came strolling into brine's rip tony was what the laughing vagabond called himself and his bear answered to the name of peppo business being so good tony could afford to be generous and he was continually pressing peppermint lozenges upon the rabble of children who formed a triumphal procession for him wherever he moved when tony's eyes first fell on woolly billy standing just outside the crowd with one arm over the neck of the big black dog he was delighted come on here bambino come a quick he cried holding out some peppermints woolly billy liked him at once and adored the bear but was too shy or reserved to push his way through the other children so tony came to him leading the bear woolly billy stood his ground with a welcoming smile the big black dog growled doubtfully and then lost his doubts in curious admiration of the bear which plainly fascinated him woolly billy accepted the peppermints politely and put one into his mouth without delay then with an apologetic air the italian laid one finger softly on woolly billy's curls and drew back at once as if fearing he had taken a liberty jim likes the bear sir doesn't he suggested woolly billy to make conversation everybody he likes the bear him very good bear asserted the bear's master and laughed again giving the bear a peppermint and he's a very good bambino the bear he like a you very much that he shake a you hand good friends now 
encouraged by the warmth of his welcome the italian had from the first made a practice of dropping in at certain houses of the village just at meal-times when he was received always with true backwoods hospitality on woolly billy's invitation he had come to the house of mrs amos the old lady too rheumatic to get about much out of doors was delighted with such a unique and amusing guest to all he said which indeed she never more than half understood she kept ejaculating well i never and did you ever hear the likes of that and the bear chained to the gate-post and devouring her pancakes and molasses thrilled her with a sense of furrin parts in fact there was no other house at brine's rip where tony and his bear were made more warmly welcome than at mrs amos the only member of the household who lacked cordiality was jim whose coolness towards tony however was fully counterbalanced by his interest in the bear towards tony his attitude was one of armed neutrality on the fourth evening after the arrival of tony and beppo jim discovered a most tempting lump of meat in the corner of mrs amos garden having something of an appetite at the moment he was just about to bolt the morsel but no sooner had he set his teeth into it than he conceived a prejudice against it he dropped it and sniffed at it intently the smell was quite all right he turned it over with his paw and sniffed at the underside no there was nothing the matter with it nevertheless his appetite had quite vanished well it might do for another time he dug a hole and buried the morsel and then went back to the house to see what woolly billy and mrs amos were doing a little later just as mrs amos was lighting the lamps in the kitchen the rattling of a chain was heard outside followed by the whimpering of beppo who objected to being tied up to the gate-post when he wanted to come in and beg for pancakes woolly billy ran to the door and peered forth into the dusk after a few moments tony entered all his teeth agleam in his expansive smile he had a little bag of bonbons for woolly billy something much more fascinating than peppermints which he doled out to the child one by one as a rare treat and for himself he wanted a cup of tea which hospitable mrs amos was only too eager to brew for him jim seeing that woolly billy was too interested to need his company got up and went out to inspect the bear tony was in gay spirits that evening in his broken english and helping out his meaning with eloquent gestures he told of adventures which made woolly billy's eyes as round as saucers and reduced mrs amos to admiring speechlessness he made mrs amos drink tea with him pouring it out for her himself while she hobbled about to find him something to eat and once in a while at tantalizing intervals he allowed woolly billy one more bonbon there was a chill in the night air so tony who was always politeness itself asked leave to close the door mrs amos hastened also to close the window or rather she tried to hasten but made rather a poor attempt and sat down heavily in the big armchair beside it my legs is that heavy she explained laughing apologetically so tony closed the window himself and at the same time drew the curtains then he went on talking but apparently his conversation was less interesting than it had been there came a snore from mrs amos big chair tony glanced aside at woolly billy as if expecting the child to laugh but woolly billy took no notice of the sound he was fast asleep his fluffy fair head fallen forward upon the red tablecloth 
tony looked at the clock on the mantelpiece it was not as late as he could have wished but he had observed that brine's rip went to bed early he turned the lamp low softly raised the window and looked out listening there were no lights in the village and all was silence save for the soft roar of the rip he extinguished the lamp and waited a few moments till his eyes got quite accustomed to the gloom at length he picked up the slight form of woolly billy who was now in a drugged stupor from which he would not wake for hours and slung him over his left shoulder in his right hand he grasped his short bear whip with its loaded butt he stepped noiselessly to the door listened a few moments and then opened it inch by inch with his left hand standing behind it and grasping the whip so as to be ready to strike with the butt he was wondering where the big black dog was the door was about half open when a black shape appearing suddenly launched itself at the opening the loaded butt came crashing down and jim dropped sprawling across the threshold from the back of the bear tony now unfastened a small pack and strapped it over his right shoulder then he unchained the great beast noiselessly and led it off to the waterside to a spot where a heavy log canoe was drawn up upon the beach he hauled the canoe down making much disarrangement in the gravel launched it thrust it far out into the water and noted it being carried away by the current he had no wish to journey by that route himself knowing that as soon as the crime was discovered which might chance at any moment the telephone would give the alarm all down the river next he undid the bear's chain and took off its muzzle and threw them both into the water knowing that when freed from these badges of servitude the animal would wander further and more freely at first the good-natured creature was unwilling to leave him its master from policy had always treated it kindly and fed it well and it was in no hurry to profit by its freedom however the man ordered it off towards the woods enforcing the command by a vigorous push and a stroke of the whip shaking itself till it realized its freedom it slouched away in a few paces downstream then turned into the woods the man listened to its careless crashing progress they'll find it easy following that trail he muttered with satisfaction assured that he had thus thrown out two false trails to distract pursuers the man now stepped into the water and walked upstream for several hundred yards till he reached the spot which served as a ferry landing here in the multiplicity of footprints he knew his own would be indistinguishable to even the keenest of backwood eyes he came ashore slipped through the slumbering village and plunged into the woods with the assurance of one to whom their mysteries were an open book he was shaping his course by the stars at present but by compass when it should become necessary for an inlet on the coast where there would be a sturdy fishing smack awaiting him and his rich prize all was working smoothly as most plans were apt to work under his swift resourceful hands and his hard lips relaxed in triumphant self-satisfaction one of the most accomplished and relentless of the desperadoes of the great northwest he had peculiarly enjoyed his pose as the childlike tony for hour after hour he pushed on till even his untiring sinews began to protest about the edge of dawn willy billy awoke but still stupid with the heavy drugging he had received he did not seem to realize what had happened 
he cried a little asking for jim and for tug blackstock and for mrs amos but was pacified by the most trivial excuses the man gave him some sweet biscuits but he refused to eat them leaving them on the moss beside him he hardly protested even when the man cut off his bright hair and proceeded to darken what was left with some queer-smelling dye when the man undressed him and proceeded to stain his face and his whole body he apparently thought he was being got ready for bed and to certain terrible threats as to what would happen if he tried to get away or to tell anyone anything he paid no attention whatever he went to sleep again in the middle of it all satisfied with his job the man lay down beside him knowing himself secure from pursuit and went to sleep himself meanwhile after lying motionless for several hours where he had dropped across the threshold jim at last began to stir that crashing blow after all had not fallen quite true jim was not dead by any means he staggered to his feet swayed a few moments and then for all the pain in his head he was practically himself again he went into the cottage tried in vain to awaken mrs amos in her chair hunted for willy billy in his bed and at last realizing something of what had happened rushed forth in a panic of rage and fear and grief and remorse for a trust betrayed it was a matter of a few minutes to trail the party down to the waterside then he darted off after the bear the latter grubbing delightedly in a rotten stump greeted him with a friendly woof a glance and a sniff satisfied jim that woolly billy was not there and his instinct assured him that the bear was void of offence in the whole matter he knew the enemy he darted back to the waterside ran on upstream to the ferry landing picked up the trail of tony's feet followed it unerringly through the confusion of other footprints and darted silently into the woods in pursuit at daybreak an early riser seeing the door of mrs amos's cottage standing open looked in and saw the old lady still asleep in her chair she was awakened with difficulty and could give but a vague account of what had happened the whole village turned out under the leadership of long jackson the big mill hand who constituted himself woolly billy's special guardian in blackstock's absence the dago and bear were traced down to the waterside of course it was clear to almost every one that the dago who was now due for lynching when caught had carried woolly billy off down river in the vanished canoe instantly the telephones were brought into service and half a dozen expert canoeists in the swiftest canoes to be had started off in pursuit but the more astute of the woodsmen including long jackson himself held that this river clue was a false one a ruse to put them off the track this group went after the bear in an hour or two they found him and very glad to see them he appeared to be he was getting hungry and a bit lonely so without waiting for an invitation with touching confidence he attached himself to the party and accompanied it back to the village there big andy who had always had a weakness for bears took him home and fed him and shut him up in the back yard in the meantime jim travelling at a speed that the fugitive could not hope to rival had come soon after daybreak to the spot where the man and woolly billy lay asleep he arrived as soundlessly as a shadow 
at sight of his enemy for he knew well who had carried off the child and who had dealt that almost fatal blow his long white fangs bared in a silent snarl of hate but he had learnt well learnt that this man was a dangerous antagonist he crouched stiffened as if to stone and surveyed the situation his sensitive nose prevented him from being quite deceived by the transformation in woolly billy's appearance he was puzzled by it but he had no doubt as to the child's identity having satisfied himself that the little fellow was asleep and therefore presumably safe for the moment he turned his attention to his enemy the man was sleeping almost on his back one arm thrown above his head his chin up his brown sinewy throat exposed that bare throat riveted jim's vengeful gaze he knew well that the man though asleep and at an utter disadvantage was the most dangerous adversary he could possibly tackle step by step so lightly so smoothly that not a twig crackled under his feet he crept up his muzzle outstretched his fangs gleaming the hair rising along his back when he was within a couple of paces of his goal the sleeper stirred slightly as if about to wake up or growing conscious of danger instantly jim sprang and sank his fangs deep deep into his enemy's throat with a shriek the sleeper awoke flinging wide his arms and legs convulsively but the shriek was strangled at its birth as jim's implacable teeth crunched closer the great dog shook his victim as a terrier shakes a rat there was a choked gurgle and the threshing arms and legs lay still jim continued his savage shaking till satisfied his foe was quite dead then he let go and turned his attention to woolly billy the child was sitting up staring at him with round eyes of question and bewilderment where am i jim he demanded then he gazed at the transformation in himself his clothes and his stained hands he saw his old clothes tossed aside his curls lying near them in a bright fluffy heap he felt his cropped head and then his brain began to clear he had a dim memory of the man cutting his hair and changing his clothes upon his first glimpse of the man lying there dead and covered with blood he felt a sharp pang of sorrow he had liked tony but the pang passed as he began to understand if jim had killed tony tony must have been bad it was evident that tony had carried him off and that jim had come to save him jim was licking his face now rapturously and evidently coaxing him to get up and come away he flung his arms around jim's neck then he saw the biscuits he divided them evenly between himself and jim and ate his portion with good appetite jim would not touch his share so woolly billy tucked them into his pocket then he got up and followed where jim was trying to lead him keeping his face averted from the terrible bleeding thing sprawled there upon the moss and jim led him safely home when tug blackstock two days later returned from his visit to exville he brought news which explained why a certain gang of criminals had planned to get possession of woolly billy the child had fallen heir to an immense property in england and an ancient title and he was to have been held for ransom from that moment blackstock never let him out of his sight until with a heavy heart he handed him over to his own people thereafter as he sat brooding on a log beside the noisy river with jim stretched at his feet 
tug blackstock felt that brine's rip for the lack of a childish voice and a head of flaxen curls had lost all savour for him and his thoughts turned more and more towards the arguments of a grey-eyed girl who had urged him to seek a wider sphere for his energies than the confines of nipsiwaska county could afford end of story one part six